Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the 23rd Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. And I'll read that in the English Standard Version. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. All right, context. Well, we're back in the temple on Monday or Tuesday of Holy Week. Uh, This is the first of three questions that Jesus will use to silence, or they will try to trap Jesus, uh, and they'll be silenced. So you have this one, and then the the one about the resurrection to the Sadducees, and then the one that we had a couple weeks ago about the greatest commandment from the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. So at the end of this chapter, they're shut up for good. And this is kind of the first, the first uh, attempt of three. Yeah. So it, it kind of seems like there's a, you know, in John's gospel, when he's, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? It's almost as if there's a little bit of that going on in th- this long section, not only with the the reading for the 23rd Sunday after Trinity, but all, all of those questions. Like He's exposing the inadequacies of the teachers of Israel. Um, that, yeah, and, and here, I mean, very explicitly, their hypocrisy, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, how should we understand that word? We know in our day that word is thrown about for almost anything. <laughs> the, 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 the biblical witness has a, a specific meaning about it. So how should we teach our people to understand that word correctly? What is Jesus charging them with? He's charging them with unbelief, right? Their hypocrisy mm-hmm. is that they say you have to keep the law in an external way, and then they keep the law in an external way. So they, they say one thing and they do it. The problem is they don't actually believe it. So they are whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside. Mm-hmm. Often, you know, in modern context, when we say hypocrisy, we just mean the person has a double standard, right? right. That is that he, that he says, you know, for instance, he says you shouldn't sin, but then he still sins. Well, mm-hmm. that's not hypocrisy, I mean, right. not from a biblical point of view. It, that's just the the problem of the for Christians. That's the problem of the old and new man. So, yeah. right, they look good on the outside, but their hearts are impure. They don't actually have faith. You know, they're they're following the the they're following the law in an external way and telling other people to do it, but not believing it. Mm-hmm. So, and he exposes them here. It's it's love of money again, right? So it's they're playing an external role, but inwardly they're not there. So kind of like the false prophets. Externally yeah. they look like sheep, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Or like Satan, you know, he appears to you as an angel of light, but really he is, you know, a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Right. Right. So it's a hypocrisy is a charge of they do not have faith. They are not believers. They are phonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any sense to this word that they're pretending not to know what they are in the inside? They're pretending not to see how what they actually do doesn't measure up? Or are they uh, are they so 
taken by what they think they're doing that they actually that they actually believe what they're doing is the right thing or do the is there an internal recognition that they know what they're doing even externally isn't measuring up like do they do they I recognize think some of them in, yeah yeah i think some of them do i think caiaphas does mm-hmm. um i think he knows what he's doing um when he yeah. you know pays the 30 pieces of silver when he buys the potter's field when he when he finally figures out they can't get two witnesses to agree so he'll just accuse jesus of thinking that he's god and get him to say yahweh i mean i think yeah. i think he does know what he's doing and he does not care i mean yeah. it's just all about he's like pharaoh uh but i think i think most of them are probably just deluded that mm. they actually think that they are good and they are keeping the law and God is impressed. Um, you know, it, I used to, we were always told as students that the most difficult doctrine was original sin. And I never, I never really quite have experienced that, but I just figured out just very recently, I think I have, I just didn't realize it was original sin. And, and that is that um, the doctrine of eternal damnation that some people will be damned and that forever and suffer in the torments of hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth, that, that's a hard doctrine. Um, modern people don't believe that. Mm-hmm. They, they just can't fathom it, right? And I think the reason they can't fathom it, that there would be a hell, is because they don't believe in original sin, which is to yeah. say they don't actually think they're that bad. And mm-hmm. we don't even, you know, we don't even... We don't think we're that bad. We don't think anybody's that bad. And, you know, maybe God will just, you know, snuff them out as a kind of act of mercy, you know, into oblivion as though they never existed. But that's not what the Bible says. I mean, that's right. So I think it is actually hard. Well, in fact, the book, where is this? Um, It's in the, I think it's in the solid declaration. Um, It says that the, uh, Doctrine of original sin is an article of faith that cannot be discerned by reason or experience, mm. right? And I think that's that's right. I mean, I don't just not just because it's in the Book of Concord, but that it is an article of faith because it is kind of unfathomable. So yeah. I, anyway, that just to say, I do think it's possible for people to actually believe that they're good enough. And, you know, they know that they commit sins and they don't keep the law perfectly, but they always have an excuse right? They're not wicked. You know, they do some wicked things, but you know, there's complicated circumstances or they didn't really mean it. You know, uh, you know, it's just a biological urge. It's not my fault. I can't help the way I feel, you know, that kind of stuff. They don't feel culpable or accountable mm. for these things. And I mean, real, right. We're, we're, this is common. So why would the Pharisees not, not uh, be above that? You know? Yeah. I don't think they are. And so so they pretend not to know and they pretend not to see because knowing and seeing means something something has to change not only externally but also internally. Yeah. And I mean I think they're probably pretty satisfied. I don't think they're having any kind of existential existential crisis about it. They they're they're comfortable in this world and they're just strolling along. Do you think along. that Jesus causes any kind of existential crisis and this is why they want to kill him because it yeah, ma- they maybe. Ma- because he makes them yeah. uncomfortable yeah maybe and he's and he's also they're losing disciples to him right <laughs> so so probably both both of those things um and i mean he is he is trying to to shake them up i mean this is a pretty this is actually this whole this whole thing is a law is law jesus doesn't preach any gospel in this Right, mm-hmm. I mean, to to them directly. I mean, we can we can infer some things from the law, but it's uh, oh uh, yeah, we didn't talk about the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? Okay, I don't know. Uh, they're either <laughs> relatives of Herod. <laughs> they could be they could be relatives of Herod, but I don't think they are. I think these are palace people. I think these are people who work for Herod. So they're the bureaucrats and the staff and so forth. Um, it's interesting, so because uh, and I had forgotten about this, right? So you have the Pharisees cooperating with the Herodians, which I'm going to say is most likely the government, you know, the local government, which is obvi- completely corrupt, right? 
um, you know, the uh, relatives of those of Herod the Great. And then, um, then he goes for the Sadducees, then the Pharisees. And this seems to be kind of all of the leadership uh, of Jerusalem. So are the Herodians there because, because of the particularities of this question, um, because they care about taxes? Or does the question arise because they're there? Does it come from them? I mean, that's kind of interesting, I think, because like if he misanswers it, right, I mean, is this going to be then he refuses to pay taxes, we're going to arrest him Uh, or, but anyway, you have the Herodians, they're obviously not good. Uh, And it's explicit because the Pharisees are plotting, right, or taking counsel together how they might entangle him in words. Mm -hmm. And then they send, the Pharisees send their disciples with the Herodians, um, and then Jesus, right, Jesus knows their wickedness um, and then calls them hypocrites and accuses them of, of uh, tempting him. So, I mean, this is a very clear scene that they're, this is completely malicious. In fact, did, did your translation have malicious? Malice, I think it did. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. malice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit loose, but it's, uh, but there is, there is, there is malice in them for sure. So. Yeah. There, yeah, go you ahead. Know, you're reading through the the Greek, and there's a way, like even the the word plotting, um, that is not necessarily, um, you know, they took counsel together to, um, you know, to trap. So it doesn't say they yeah, plotted trap. how to entrap him, but it gets the sense, right? That yeah, there is a there there is a there, there is some. Um, interpretation with that translation. And rightly so. Yeah. Gibbs points out that every time they take counsel to get the Pharisees take counsel, it's always with wicked intent. So he, he cites like six or seven examples in the, in the gospels and every Mm -hmm. time it's to do something bad. So, so you could, he would, I think almost advocate, you could even say they were scheming. Right. Mm. But uh, he doesn't say that, but, but yeah. They're taking counsel together. They're plotting. I mean, they, their purpose is wicked, and that's exposed. I mean, even if we couldn't have told that from what, they, from what we're told, Jesus himself exposes it. Mm-hmm. So I've, they come out with flattery. I've, I've read some. It does some, sound like Nicodemus. I've read some folks comment on the Herodians saying that they were closely aligned with the Sadducees theologically. Um, okay. So, so maybe that's, you know, you, you get the Herodians who are like the Sadducees theologically, but, you know, they have this association as a political party as well within kind of the theological camp of the Sadducees um, for this question. And then the Sadducees come to, to push him further. And then the Pharisees uh, come again later that day. Isn't it the same day? Well, is maybe it? It, it, we're not told that it's the same day. The Sadducees is the same day. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not told about the questions about the great commandment, whether we're not given a time mark, a marker there, just when the Pharisees I mean, heard. The, right. The Sadducees were Hellenized. So it makes sense that the Herodians would be in a similar, mm-hmm. right? The, the Sadducees are the liberals. You know, they're cooperating mm-hmm. with the government. They're not, they only accept part of the Bible, you know, Moses. And um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, it does sound aristocrats. similar to Nicodemus. Aristocrats, that's a good, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so so they they begin with flattery. And so that's when you know it's yeah. coming, right? <laughs> I mean, the irony, of course, is that what they say is accurate, right? Jesus is true. He does teach the way of God in truth. And, uh, right. He doesn't, he doesn't look anyone in the face. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't care about what anyone thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, well, no that's interesting. I mean, th- this really does put on display their hypocrisy. So they come with saying kind of the right <clears> thing, but they don't believe this. They're doing it to like puff him up and to get him, um, to be a, a, a little bit, relaxed so that he'll walk into yeah. the trap but 
right? You know, they're 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 acting this part, uh, but yeah, they don't believe any of this, right? I think it's part of the trap that right. It could either puff him up so that he naively, you know, thinks they're his they are his friends, or um, if he refuses to answer, they can say, well. He's not answering because he's being political. He's compromised. Mm. He's not as pure as he pretends. Because, yeah. because that has, you know, some of the sense of it is we're going to ask you, a, we're going to set this up. And now if you don't answer the question with, with a yeah. clear answer one way or the other, then, you know, you're actually corrupt. So the so liberals then are the same as today. They're always projecting. They're unwilling <laughs> to act. They're always <laughs> doing political things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's a total, it's, it's scummy. It's a very scummy thing. Mm-hmm. So, so then of course the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Which is just great because it just shows what they actually care about. Right. Yeah, money. This is, and they're, yeah, they're trying to come up with a question that no matter what answer he gives, they can critique. Right. And he can, they can at least turn, part of the population against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it, so that's, the, that's, you know, why the question was chosen. But at the same time, I think it does expose that this is what they think about. This is what they're worried about. Mm-hmm. And it's questions about, right, money. How do we keep, yeah. m- how do we keep money? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, th- they're trying to set up this dilemma uh, that he can, he's going to get caught in one of these horns of a, of a, of a dilemma. And Jesus says, look, these are not mutually exclusive things. Um, so you're, you know, you're quite wrong. <laughs> you don't know. Right. <laughs> well, they're, they're playing with fire, right? They're tempting. I mean, they are actually testing God and that's a dangerous thing. So well, and that's what he says. Why do you God. put me to the test? Yeah. So they are, they are, uh, uh, they're about to get it handed to them. So there's a couple of ways you can go with this. Show me the show me the coin. So they bring him a denarius, and then he says, "Whose image and inscription is this?" Right, and of course, it's it has a it has an icon of Caesar, and it has Caesar's name on it. That mm-hmm. is, it belongs to Caesar, right? Yeah. So and it probably has you get this the inscription "Son of God" on it. <laughs> yeah. So there was I, uh, there was a uh, temple coin that that they were allowed to have, but it was only basically good in Jerusalem, maybe even only in the temple, mm-hmm. almost that was free of that. So I read years ago somebody said that's part of what's going on is that the problem is is it trades at a lower rate. It's supposed to be the same coin, but it isn't because you can't use it everywhere. This is like in the UK. The Northern Ireland prints their own money, and it's equal to the pound. But when you go to England, there's a risk that the shop owner won't take it. He's supposed to, but he may not. And so nobody wants that Northern Ireland money, right? Whereas if you have money that was printed in England, you can go anywhere in the UK and it's going to be good, right? So the, the the fact that they've got this, they're carrying around a coin with an icon on it and Caesar's name on it, and they're telling other. So that that might be that might be part of the hypocrisy he's showing. I'm I'm not sure. Well, that's double but, standard. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's kind of. Yeah, that's right. But that's kind of the uh, right. But also shows that you know they're worried about the value of money more than they are being idolaters. But right. but it may just also be that he's just. He's just kind of mocking them, right? That look, you know, you're, you're asking me about this, and it should be obvious. Um, when he says, right, give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. I, I don't. Uh, Gibbs says that this isn't really a passage that has anything to do with the two kingdoms or the table of duties. It's it's actually it is in the table of duties under what do citizens owe the government, but he doesn't think that's appropriate. I mean, he doesn't think it's like sinful, but uh, because well, why, he makes this argument. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, why would it not be lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? He, I mean, he's I, he's the, not claiming it. Yeah. I mean, that would be the question. I'm sure that that's the question that Jesus is answering. They Well, I think they would say it's not lawful to pay uh, 
taxes to Caesar because Caesar himself is unlawful. He's not the legitimate king of Israel. He, you know, he stole it by violence and treachery and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and he's a pagan, so he's not the true king, right? I mean, some people in Israel at least are going to say we shouldn't pay anything to him. We should pick up our weapons and rebel or not even rebel, but, you know, fight Mm -hmm. against this usurper. So that would be the reason it's not lawful to pay to Caesar, Because Caesar's going to use it for wickedness. So the assumption here is not that they think that you can't. They're trying to get him to say that you can't, and so he's a usurper. Right. Or he's a Hellenizer. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to, the point is, he's he's going to turn a significant percentage of the population against him with either answer. Mm -hmm. But that's all they they don't believe either of these things. (laughs) <laughs> no, they don't. They don't care about this. And or he's going to be silent, right? And you know, and then they're going to say, "Well, see, you do care about people." So it's like no matter what he does, if he answers in any way at all, they got him. If he doesn't answer, they got him. Except that, of course, it doesn't work because he's smarter than they are. And I mean, not not actually. I take that back. We, we shouldn't. I shouldn't have said that. He's wiser than they are. Yeah. So. You're right. He he understands and recognizes what they're doing. And this isn't just that he recognizes, you know, a logical fallacy or he wins a debate by, you know, being a better debater. This is mm-hmm. that he actually is at one with the will of the Father and can just simply see the ridiculousness of this question. Um, and I so in this part, I think Gibbs overstates it some. Um, however, I do agree that in some sense, Jesus doesn't really answer the question they ask. He doesn't mm-hmm. really tell you if it's lawful to pay taxes to an unlawful government or how we determine if a government is unlawful. He just simply says, well, that coin says Caesar on it. So it belongs to him. More significantly, and I, I think Gibbs, here's where I think Gibbs is right on, is that give unto God the things that are God's is, of course, a call to the first commandment, right? Mm. That you should fear, love, and trust. I mean, what doesn't belong to God, including that coin of Caesar's, right? Everything in, mm-hmm. in this creation belongs to him. And you, when you're asking this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Your question is, what is mine and what is his? What do I owe him and what do I get to keep? It, it's mm-hmm. a you're not standing in the right order under God. The Pharisees for sure are not. And so he does kind of render this challenge to them. Have you rendered unto God what belongs to him, which would be fear, love, and trust, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I've always taken it like, so, you know, what image and inscription is upon you? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You belong to God and everything, all your life is that of a steward, Right. So, um, you know, how you treat your body is a reflection of faith. And it comes from what you believe about yourself and what you believe God has made you. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the problem with sexual pollution, but it's also the problem with gluttony uh, and uh, and and just seeking pleasure. But, you know, then it, it so it's not just money. It's how you treat your body and then how you treat the earth, how you treat your 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 loved ones, how you treat your vocation, how you treat animals. I mean, right? If uh, if you belong to God and God is the creator and you are a steward in everything that you do, you know, mm-hmm. how you spend your time. I mean, it's just it's it's completely all encompassing. Right. So the, uh, that that's uh the Magdeburg Confession uses this in its second argument on resistance. Yeah, because we don't give to Caesar we don't give to Caesar what doesn't belong to him, right? Yeah. When Christ commands with an affirmative and by clear inference that the things which are Caesar's are to be rendered unto Caesar, and the things which are God's are to be rendered unto God, we rightly infer from the affirmative a negative. Likewise, by right. clear inference, just as negative commandments, as in the Decalogue, always include an affirmative sentence by direct inference. So we're right. not to Render unto Caesar that which is God's, or uh, unto God that which is Caesar's, or to Caesar what is uh, David's. You know, I mean, yeah. or right. So, and I think 
you know, what, what we ought, what we should know also is that, of course, Caesar is always going to claim more is his than actually is. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Caesar, I mean, historically is, you know, he, I mean, he thinks he really does think everything belongs to him. But as, as just as a general principle, we should expect the government to engage in overreach. Mm-hmm. And we are to judge and to decide what actually the government has a right to and what it doesn't, because it doesn't Based have a right to God. everything. Right. That, you know, there are, there, there is actually the, the three hierarchies that actually determine things and natural law and some things that are appropriate and that aren't. And there's overlap. That's what makes it difficult. I always use this example with, with confirmation, you know, Luther puts in the, catechism that this is the way the head of the household should teach it. And we've never operated that way. And we really shouldn't, uh, not, not, not in a very literal way, right? Because there is an overlap here. The pastor teaches the catechism, right? Not apart from the parents, but you know, it's not like this is a sole parental duty and the, the parents are just going to, you know, bring the child and say, yeah, I catechized him, give him communion. Uh, wait a minute, you know, I've got, I got, I've got some, something to say here too. So yours is examination, right? So if if the (laughs) primary duty of the parents is catechesis, then you examine and determine what more catechesis is to be done. And you can help in that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying. Right. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, we, it is a teaching office, right? Um, So it's not, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just using it as an illustration to show that there's kind of, there's two hierarchies at work here and there is overlap where we both have a responsibility here, but it's, it's possible for either one to sort of exclude the other. I mean, theoretically at least. Uh, and I mean, of course, most of the time in our circles, it's probably been in that particular issue that the parents haven't done catechesis, that they've handed mm. the whole thing over to the father or to the uh, pastor. But so uh, all that to say yeah, but that typically, we just have to- Typically, produce- we think of it only in terms of, you know, one half of it. And, and that's where like- That's right. That's like what I'm, yeah. Examination is catechesis because you're testing it. Yeah, it's, I, I think we have more than just examination though. Right, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So we yeah. also we're also teaching. Yeah, and I mean, I, I get that. Yeah, go ahead. And they viewed that primarily as what happens in the sermon. Yeah, but that's not the only place. Well, they didn't do much other teaching outside of preaching. I mean, if we're, they being and that's you my know, point. Like that, yeah. their understanding of these things was, you know, on a daily basis, the head of the household would. Uh, instruct the children, and then the right. pastor would examine. And he, but he would be instructing all along from the pulpit. Right. But right. he would examine the children to see, you know, where they were in terms of um, what they believed, and you know why they desired these things, and were they able to to confess their sins and how they knew that. So, right by going through that Socratic dialogue, so you know, that discussion of examination also ends up teaching. Well, my, my point is that if the, if the parents come to me and say, we'll teach our children uh, and we'll tell you, I mean, I'm not going to accept that. I, if they tell me you can't teach the children, I'm going to teach them. And we're not bringing them to you for examination, we're just going to tell you, right? I'm, I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm the pastor. I have an office that I have to fulfill and, and a duty. And in a similar yeah. way, right, if, if I was to say to the parents, hey, I'm the teacher, I'll teach these children, you keep your mouth shut and do what I tell you. I mean, the parents should absolutely leave, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, so we have to, we have to recognize that just because there's overlap doesn't mean that either party gets to abdicate his duties. Correct. And uh, yes, so, I so totally that's, I think that. what, yeah, well, I, I know you did, but uh, so I think that's the kind of uh, like the problem 
the reason where we go wrong with some of this hierarchy stuff and giving unto Caesar more than is his is because there is a certain sense in which Caesar, the government, is interested in this, right? I mean, the government has an interest in public health. The government, rightly, you know, um, the government has an interest in, uh, you know, marriage and procreation and all sorts of things. So because of that, you know, then we've sometimes just like abdicated as though there, and they would prefer that often in, in the sinful flesh, right? That we just let them take care of everything. I just had an argument recently, not a knockdown drag out argument, but you know, this old, this old saw about, well, the government shouldn't legislate morality. And it was, and of course, by that, they, by that it was meant, um, completely and exclusively the government shouldn't have anything to say about sexual morality, but that wasn't what was said. And then I was like, I think the government should only legislate morality. I wish they'd stay out of things that aren't moral, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm tired of them interfering in every detail of our lives, but I totally think that there should be laws about theft and murder and right. And punishments and so forth. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, there's this kind of funny thing that as though the government has no in, no should have no interest in morality like I think the government should only be interested in morality maybe, maybe that's overstatement but um, well the reality is then, when they make other laws they're making moral claims and so of they're, course they're they trying to make things that are not actual moral things into right. moral things uh, right I, you can't have any law that doesn't touch upon morality. Right. But we're not going to abdicate our judgment of morality to the government just because they're supposed to make laws in accord with morality. Right. Right. Um, you know, or, or just let them police it. You know, we'll just, Hey, the, let's say there's a, let's say there's a civil law against fornication. Right. You know, that'd be great. Uh, and there used to be. And mm -hmm. uh, then we're not going to be just like, well, it's the policeman's job to, you know, make sure my daughter doesn't sleep with her boyfriend. Uh, no, right? Uh, I still have an obligation here to to do this. So, mm -hmm. but we're kind of in a, I mean, we're not living in a perfect society here where the government does care about that stuff. And I think that's right. exactly right. The thing is, is they do stick their noses in things that they probably shouldn't. And in fact, they're doing it because they think it's moral and right. they're enforcing, right. They're enforcing their ideas, which usually anyway. So anyway, that, yeah, they're projecting. That's, I, yeah. So the Magdeburg <laughs> uses this, it's in the, it's in the, uh, table of duties. Um, that's the only place it's cited in the book of Concord. I did, I did a search, but, uh, um, really that's the only so place. Some, yeah. I was surprised by that. I thought it'd be all over the place. Um, but that's the only reference that came up was in the table of duties. I mean, not even in but the there's no, there's no under article. like government, like governing authorities or the gov the Augsburg Confession doesn't really deal with civil authority. It mentions it, but there's not an article on civil. Is there? I don't think there's an article on civil authority. No. I mean, you've I got church regulations. The, the lawfulness of serving in. I thought it had. An article on the lawfulness of serving like public service. I mean, it, 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 it does, does it have a whole article on it? I mean, I do remember there's a condemnation of the Anabaptists who say you can't serve in those offices. Right. Um, that's in the, that's in the Augsburg confession. Um, but I can't, I don't remember there being a whole article on the goodness of civil order or, or serving. I might be wrong. I mean, could easily mm -hmm. be wrong. There's no article anywhere in what anyway, if, if there is, they don't cite this passage. Um, I don't yeah, think article that the, 26 civil government. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Shows how well I know the Augsburg confession. All right. But yeah. They don't well, cite it there. Romans 13, yeah. Corinthians 7, Romans 10, Acts 5, 29. Oh, render unto God or, uh, we should obey God and not men. Probably yeah. is the Acts passage. It is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there so, you go. That's the story. They marveled. And it is marvel. It's like Thamazzo. Yeah, it is. It is. So I don't know why. Are they just, they might just be marveling that uh, 
that he just outmaneuvered them so well and they never saw it coming. Um, and they might also just be marveling at their own ignorance that they never even thought about what is God's, what belongs to God, what do we owe him? Mm. Even though they're, even though they, they're legalists, right? Uh, at the same time, they don't actually really think about what they should be rendering to God mm-hmm. in a weird way because they're really not doing it for God. They're really doing it to be seen by others, mm. but to be seen by men. You know, we've talked about hey, the, in the past uh, how the we tend to focus on negatives, like don't do, stay away from this, and how that just enhances those negatives instead of looking at like the path sh- that we should follow. You talked about this with regard yeah. to riding a motorcycle. Is there any uh, correspondence here with the Pharisees and the Herodians only focusing on kind of negative things and not thinking on mm. what we ought to be doing, what we yeah. should be doing. They're just always thinking yeah. in don't eat, don't touch, don't do these things legalists in that way and not positively building up. Okay. So this is the path that I should do. Yeah. Not seeking first the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, but uh, Yeah. They're just, they're not thinking in those terms at all, are they? No. It's all about outward obedience. And again, I think in the presence of men rather in the presence of God, yeah. they're worried about what to give to Caesar, right? How much do we owe him? You know, how much can we get away with? And they're not, they're not worried about loving their yeah. neighbor or loving God. And what God, they should have obviously. done in this particular case, which is right. then to have a follow-up question. So they marvel. But they're so focused right. on appearances that they don't ask the next question, which is, all right, well, then what belongs to God? And I can only yeah. imagine what? that Jesus would have loved to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think they are, are too afraid to ask that question. Mm-hmm. They don't want to know. I mean, because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be too all, it's going to be too encompassing and it's going to require sacrifice and change. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's going to require that. It's also going to give the kingdom. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, right, but it's, it's not, they don't really want the kingdom. So the epistle is Philippians 3, 17 to 21. And I found verse 20. This is, so 19, he's talking, well, anyway, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we are also eagerly from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body that may be conformed to his glorious body. So you've got that. Our citizenship is in heaven is, I think, a nice balance to this uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm-hmm. That that we don't, we don't belong to him, and he's not our actual king. I mean, this is, of course, the reason that a lot of people have disliked American flags or any kind of nation flag in the front of the church, mm-hmm. right? There is this, this idea that, that we would enter into the church and not be Americans. Yeah. You know, what's really hilarious with those flags is that when, almost whenever I see them, they have the yellow fringe around them, which in terms of flag lore, right? What the way flags are supposed to be, that is, uh, that yellow fringe means that it's you're on federal property. That's why though that's why you always see those flags like on military installations, because that's federal property. Yeah. So uh, you got an American flag, that's kind of bad enough. Then you put the yellow fringe around it. Then you of course put it higher and to the left of the Christian flag. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole thing just gets it just gets kind of worse and worse. So yeah. anyway, it would be it would be best to not have them up there. Um, I mean, can you imagine uh, an embassy in uh, Japan or China flying the Chinese flag in the U.S. embassy? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's a great. Oh, that's a great one. I love it. Yeah, this is an embassy of heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably don't. Enc- do you encounter much of that in the city? It, it's really popular out here. I'm sure. Uh, you know, I don't pay attention to what other churches in the city are doing, so I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, Indiana's Midwest. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of 
very proud Americans around here. Mm-hmm. I just it's a just battle I have lost life. a number of times, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> I, is it, do you have fighting. flags on the front of your church? We do. We do. Okay. Well, there you go. Sometimes you got to put up with stuff. Um, the we just came from the for lack have, of trying. The right to, well, I've, that's what I you got to do. Sometimes we're trying. I want to. I'm going to write something about this. I think one of our kind of failures institutionally in education of pastors is that we don't prepare guys to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talk about it a little bit, but we're trying to help them succeed, right? So, like, if this was say a seminary, we'd be talking about well. This is why you should not have flags in the front, blah, blah, blah. Now, this is how you go about catechizing the congregation and teaching them and changing their minds and do it in a winsome way and how long you wait and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's all about how to be successful in a sense, right? How to avoid failure, which, I mean, as an educational, I mean, I think that is appropriate. But at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of failure, Uh you know, I mean, like, especially like with evangelism, but also with catechesis, or even in like trying to improve ceremonies, right? Mm-hmm. In the end, the flags in the front of the church is only a ceremony. That's why yeah. you can tolerate it, even if even if it's not the best ceremony. But right. you know, I, I think in a there's a lot of failures, um, almost constant. Yeah, and not to be a and, not, well, not to be afraid of failure, and then not to become um, given to despair when you fail, like you right. just got to keep and, trying. And it, just got to keep, you're right. And it, you know, it, it is about kind of, it is about endurance and faithfulness and, and then, you know, also kind of knowing, well, what, you know, where does the failure really matter and where doesn't it and what can I do about it? So, you know, I tried to evangelize this person and he rejected the gospel. Um, does that matter? Yeah. Is there anything I can do about it? No. Right, um, you know, I, uh, I I tried to move the congregation to a better ceremony, and mm-hmm. they were not convinced, and it failed. You know, does that matter? Yeah, but not that much, maybe. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, does that mean that it will fail forever? No. Right? I mean, no. that's another thing. You could you can keep trying and you can keep working, and but yeah. I think that uh, just to recognize that there's going to be a lot of failure. You know, yeah, and you can yeah, learn from is. those things. You can grow from those things. And and I think, you know, sometimes it's as though these guys go out there and, you know, they kind of misunderstood their education a little bit, that if they were clever enough, you know, they could succeed. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you know you, sometimes, you just, sometimes, you know, you get to a place and it's just ripe for some of those changes. And yeah, that's there's nothing right. that you did. Uh, it just was, it was the time, like, you know, all male acolytes here, uh, it, I just, it, it just kind of happened. Like once I saw that it was maybe the right time, uh, to move forward, to do it, you know, you, you went forward and I, you knew that there would be objections, but you know, it's kind of what we had and we had set a practice and sometimes you just like have to look for just an opportunity Oh, here's an opportunity. Yeah. Let's do it. And let's see how it works. Right. And if you've got to go back, you don't want to, you don't want to fail, but if you have to, okay, I'll, you know, I can live with that. I tried and I'll keep trying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or, you know, and sometimes too, let's be, uh, sometimes, you know, you have an idea and you try it and they don't like it and they're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, or, you know, you just, it's not like we, I could tell you, I mean, mistakes I've made and it's just like, oh yeah, that was, that was, or things I just was incapable of seeing, you know, I, I like went along with stuff that I thought was dumb and then it turned out it was a good idea. You know, I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, so th- there is a sort of just reality to this that I think. I don't yeah. know why we're talking about that. How we, but anyway, there, there's this kind of endurance of the ministry that sometimes we're so desperate for success that I think we, we're willing to change the standards mid-game to call it a success. Um, yeah. Or, you know, we just quit trying because we're afraid of failing or whatever. Well, in some ways, you do have to change what you mean by success. So, um, you know, when I think of evangelism... 
the majority of the time that Jesus talks about it is like, you know, even Paul, like someone planting and someone watering and then God giving the growth. You might, all you might be doing is planting. Like you're the gardener and you're just waiting for the fruit to come up. Like you, you might not see that fruit happen, but you're still being faithful, successful in planting. Like you've done that duty. And I think there's some of that as well. Like, have I been faithful to the duties that have been given to me? Not that they've ended up the way I've wanted them, but have I still done what's been asked of me? Yeah. And I think that's valid to say that's still a win. It doesn't feel as good, but it's still right. it's still successful in the sense that you've accomplished what really what God has set you out to do, which is to plant or to water. Right. I, I get that. And I, I mean, I think that's legit. Um, at the same time, I'm a little bit afraid of softening it too much. Sure. Um, because, because I think it's slightly misleading. Um, because, right. So, but you're right. And I, I of course, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, we're just, we're just doing what we've been given to do. We're not in control. And, and really, the goal is faithfulness, not mm-hmm. earthly success. Um, at the same time, I mean, I think we have to sort of be emotionally prepared for the fact that it feels an awful lot like a failure and sometimes even causes animosity and, and other things, right? There's pain involved. So Yeah, no, definitely. I, and I don't mean to downplay that, but the... Yeah. Yeah. I, you could also just learn something. I mean, you know, even like if we're not talking about, you know, the, somebody's soul, I mean, if we're just talking about, you know whatever, moving the flags, you know, you, you could actually learn something in the process that you didn't know that's actually useful or mm-hmm. learn to think about it more deeply or in a way that's right. I mean, so there's other ways that these things can be beneficial, even if you don't, again, succeed. So there can be growth in, in various ways. There can be, you know, new insights. And there can also just be the reality that you just did your job you know, mm-hmm. it is your job. I mean, we're talking to pastors. It is your job to actually lead the congregation to better ceremonies and to catechize mm-hmm. them. So, right. you know, if you did your work and you told them about this and, you know, they weren't convinced, well, I mean, you did what you were supposed to do. I, 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 we've t- I think I've probably said this before. I'll, I'll tell you the, the worst thing for me practically in the world is when I don't do my job and then it fails. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, the best thing, of course, is if I do what I was supposed to do and it succeeds. And then the worst thing is I didn't do anything and it fails. Sometimes, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do and it fails and I'm okay with that. Other times I don't do what I'm supposed to do and it succeeds. And that's the one that actually, that leaves me disturbed. Uh, mm-hmm. But the worst is when I didn't do anything and it does, right? I mean, there's all these sorts of gradations and there is great satisfaction as there should be, and just going, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. We had somebody visited church, visited the church. I called on him, you know, within two weeks, like I was supposed to. Um, and then, you know, he either joins the church or he doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, I don't get around to it. They join the church anyway. Uh, sometimes I don't get around to it and they don't. And then I'm always like, was that my fault, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so doctrines, you mentioned original sin. Do you think this is an opportunity to talk about this? I mean, um, it could be because you could talk about their inability to recognize their actual wickedness. Yeah. 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 They think In they're good. Of hypocrisy. Foolishly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. I think reverence, um, you could definitely, you know, what, what is owed to God is reverence, right? And then what is owed to his creation. Um, and, of course, stewardship is closely allied there, but, you know, to respond appropriately to what's in front of you um, Mm -hmm. and and to recognize that, to render unto God what is God's, right? Thanks, praise, confession Mm -hmm. in all things. Uh, Contrary to Gibbs, I think you could talk about the two kingdoms, (laughs) right? Um, Aware that Caesar claims more for himself uh, than is due. I mean, again, you know, or the, uh, you could also talk about the three hierarchies or estates. Um, mm-hmm. This is a proof text in the table of duties for what citizens owe the government. Uh, we're not anarchists, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
but we're not lemmings. Right. We have a, we have a duty to be right citizen. We're uh, right. We're not called upon to just do what the government tells us to do, but we have to make judgments and we have to exercise our own authority. I mean, the authority of our vocations within the hierarchies where we're operating. Right. We right. don't abdicate our responsibility to raise our children to the government, even mm-hmm. though the government would like to take it over. So yeah. all that stuff. There's lots to talk about there. Yeah, I mean, uh, what we saw in 2020 was how important local government was and how often we tend to view national or global politics as being more important when really, uh, you know, having a good mayor or a good sheriff is ranks right up there in terms of what they're going to enforce and how they view the authority granted to them. Right. Well, I mean, that's the great, I mean, I think that's the great thing about sheriffs being elected. Mm. You know, there is some, there is a, there is a, I think just politically, I like that, you know, that the police, some of the police at least are answerable to the people in a more Mm -hmm. direct fashion. But yeah. Uh, Uh, Training and righteousness and correction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about um, we, uh, these these Pharisees are hiding behind this kind of flattery, and I think that we sometimes do a similar thing with cliches, right? Um, that we don't do the actual work of theology, and I don't just mean the pastors here, uh, right? That is that we're not reading the Bible deeply; we're kind of coming at it as though we already know the answers. We, we're, we already are perfect experts in God and theology and so forth, so we don't need to pay attention. And that's part of the arrogance of the Pharisees, and we do it too. So I think, you know, to encourage people to actually read the Bible deeply and carefully um, and to tell them how to do it, like read a chapter of the Bible and then summarize it in your own words and pick out the major doctrines or teachings or the thesis. You know, a a chapter, it'd be nicer if it was divided into pericopes. Most most modern English Bibles are, right? They'll have like paragraph headings and stuff. So Mm -hmm. to, you know, just to sort of recognize that we, we could fall into the same error or a similar error to that of the Pharisees in a kind of arrogance that thinks we understand God and we already know what this is about, so we don't need to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's Cliches part of are... that's part of again what we kind of saw in 2020 that came to yeah. light is that we don't really know the wisdom of God like we should. We don't know what our duties are, or what the right. duties of the other hierarchies are, so that when we encroach theirs or they encroach ours, you know, what the proper response is and to whom we owe that, that response to. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we make assumptions about what is good also. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, why, why is it that some people want an American flag up at the front of the church? (laughs) Right. I mean, they're, they're scandalized by, they can't even fathom why you wouldn't. Right, because they just kind of see America as an objective good, and right. I mean, there's of course, you know, we're we're thankful to God to live in this country and for the things He provides through it. Um, so I mean, that's not inappropriate. But then, right, so there's all sorts of things that we slip into. We assume whatever, maybe the Missouri Senate's good, or we assume that we know how to properly distinguish between law and gospel, mm-hmm. or you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Which which is related. I mean, I'm I'm agreeing with what you're saying about the hierarchies. I'm just there's also kind of theological stuff too. Yeah. What about comfort? Uh, it, like closer, just you belong to God. Uh, yeah. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You belong to God. Uh, how about you're even having... just that Jesus fights off the Pharisees for us, <laughs> right? I mean. Um, there is this this kind of reality that we live in a world where we do get bullied by Pharisees, or we do get sort of trapped by this kind of, you know, the, the sort of, I mean, the Pharisees here are the scholars, right? 
they're the smart people. Just listen to them. And, you know, there, there is that sort of uh, experts. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus silences them so that we can actually read the Bible for ourselves and, Mm. and, you know, pray and, and so forth. Okay. So what are you going to focus on? You think? I, I probably right now I'm thinking reverence. I want to talk in this stewardship idea that what belongs to God and, and what do we owe him? And if we belong to him, how does that, what does that mean for Mm -hmm. the most mundane things, you know, to kind of raise our awareness? So what are those, you know, if you had three points on what you owe God, what do we, what do we owe God? Time, talents, and treasure. (laughs) (laughs) It's not wrong. That was too easy, man. Uh, yeah. Didn't you have something about I hiding mean, behind cliches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, I probably would, it'd be very tempting to start with, you know, C.S. Lewis's uh, that thing about the waterfall and, uh, you know, responding appropriately to creation. So to, 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 first of all, to sort of think about how it is that, that we are so tempted to misuse the goods of created goods, you know, for, for pleasure instead of for the good of our neighbor and how we um, not only do we take their goodness for granted, but then we, we just abuse it. So that would be the sort of law side. And then I think maybe on, you know, this just kind of marveling and reveling in the generosity of God that's just all around us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, learning to see in it, you know, the sort of consider the lilies and that sort of thing. So in other words, you're trying to, by reverence, you're meaning uh, not something we do at work or not something that we do when we're being amused, but something that is devoted to leisure, where we are receptive to the the environment around us and just noticing all the things there. Is that is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah. Though I think it can also be present in work and in recreation um, that, you know, there can be, yeah, just uh, this, this elevating our sense of being in the presence of God and of everything belonging to him mm-hmm. and of him using us for good and to bring order into the world. So, I mean, if you're working in a textile factory you know, you could you could just stop and pause for a minute at the marvel of this machinery that actually, you know, makes something useful out of raw materials mm. and the kind of incredible so the supply value chain. of things. The yeah, and not just looking at the used. extrinsic value that it gives you, but I think T.S. Eliot said something to the effect of anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Um, like the intrinsic value of something like, so despite all of the competition that goes along at the Bugenhagen conference around softball, you know, there are a lot of us who are just, you know, doing it poorly, but the intrinsic (laughs) worth of, you know, making a nice throw or a cheering on a teammate or running out, uh, a base hit, uh, that, that, that value in itself is good, even if you're doing it poorly. Um, yeah, just to live in the physical world, to actually yeah. just feel and use and recognize the physicality of yourself. Yeah, I mean, to run, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to throw, to crawl, to jump, to to move. I mean, that these are amazing things. So, so I agree. There, I like that to do, to do it poorly. Yeah. yeah. So is there a sense in which? Jesus is pointing out how the Pharisees are always looking to use something towards an advantage instead of just enjoying mm. the things. Like they're yeah. always or, trying uh, to anti- yeah. twist and turn and put a finger on the scales or um, have something, I don't want to say productive, but they're always thinking about the next move in- instead of the the thing right in front of them. Yeah, and how to and often how to use it to gain an advantage over someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know how can we use this to, right? 
to be better or to make others feel worse or to show superiority, a kind of one-upmanship or mm-hmm. um, constant struggle, you know, yeah. for the hierarchy kind of. Well, to, to create their own order of status. things instead of right, living right. in the order that God has put, put forward. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is good. Any um, concluding thoughts? <laughs> I think we I think we concluded already. <laughs> I think we're good. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you.